We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning and happy Monday. It is January 29th and a lot of uh, headlines over the weekend. We're going to talk about a lot of them this morning, including, is it possibly a repeat of 2020? I hope not. And it is only January and I'm, I'm putting this out there that I will not repeat 2020. I am now in Florida, not in D.C. So much has changed, but uh, apparently we are getting an NFL repeat of 2020 heading into 2024, which I just find a little bit weird. Um, This was the headline from Time. America is heading for a 2020 rematch in 2024. And no, we're not talking just yet about Joe Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. The Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers will once again compete in the NFL's championship match as the two football teams head to the Super Bowl on February 11th. So it is just January, but this is why, my friends, we all need to pray and pray hard for our country. And no, not just because of football, but because everything else going on, including uh, three U.S. soldiers that were killed in a drone attack by an Iran proxy terror group. We'll get into that more in the next segment. Um, But first, I want to welcome my uh, first guest, Mark Lauder. He is the chief communications officer at America First Policy Institute to talk about this. Uh, Republicans have introduced articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on Sunday. So, Mark, um, is this really going to go anywhere? I mean, I just don't have confidence that Republicans can get it together the same way that Democrats did very quickly when they impeached Donald Trump twice. Well, I I think, Jenna, they will uh, go ahead and pass these articles of impeachment. I mean, it's clear that the the border is a disaster. Uh, And it's a disaster of Joe Biden's making. I mean, I think it's really important for people to remember no law changed between 2019, 2020, and now 2024. The only thing that changed was Joe Biden being in the White House and what laws he chooses to enforce, which obviously does not include the laws at the border. Right. Well, and the U.S. Constitution hasn't changed and the federal government's obligation uh, and and. The, not only the power, but the obligation in Article 4 to protect the states against invasion. I mean, that that is something that is essentially guaranteed by the Constitution when states join the Union. So um, so there's a lot of talk over um, this, this impeachment. And uh, if we do see the articles of impeachment passed by a very, I think it would be a very, very slim majority because likely zero Democrats are, this is not going to be a bipartisan effort, uh, but Republicans do control the majority, even though it is very slim. Do you think that 
um, that the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, has has whipped enough of these votes that now the articles of impeachment are finally being introduced after they've been talking about this, I mean, even back into Kevin McCarthy's speakership. Well, I mean, I do think they've got the vote. You know, he won't bring it up if they don't have the votes. Uh, and so I think the fact that he is putting it on the floor uh, is indicates that he does have the votes. I think beyond that, I mean, this is a very difficult vote for many Democrats because you're even seeing Democrats coming out against what's happening at the southern border. They, they are, uh, you know, they're struggling under the weight of this illegal immigration. They're doing, you know, they're calling on the Biden administration to do its job, and yet they're not doing it. And so. Just by taking this vote, if they say if they vote no on impeachment, they're basically endorsing this chaos and this illegality we have that's going on at our southern border. It's a very difficult vote for some Democrats, especially those around New York, Chicago, where they are really struggling with illegal immigration. Yeah, and that's a good point. I'm talking with Mark Lauder, who is the chief communications officer at the America First Policy Institute and was the uh, my former colleague as the director of strategic communications on uh, the Trump reelection campaign of 2020. And so, Mark, um, do you think that there is a possibility at all that we may see a couple of Democrats uh, change? I mean, this is an election year, and and it always is for the House because they only have the two-year term. But um, for some of these Democrats that are in some of these swing districts that maybe are concerned about re-election even, are they going to care about that more than they are going with their own conference? Well, and that's going to be the challenge. I don't think you'll see many of them do it, and you might be right. None of them may end up actually voting for impeachment, but you know, it's a vote that they are definitely going to feel, uh, you know, come November because it is the number one thing on the on people's minds right now. I mean, what does it tell you when the number one issue in the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary was immigration? And I don't recall my geography classes that they border anything on uh, near the southern border. Right. And and yet that's Americans are very concerned. I mean, even in my former um, home state of Colorado, when uh, there was a headline from I think it was NBC yesterday talking about something like 40,000 uh, migrants have now been been placed in uh, Colorado or have migrated up to Colorado. I mean, that's not a border state, but certainly it's affecting Denver. It's, it's affecting the surrounding areas. And so there are a lot of other states that see that if we, th- that rightly, I think, see that if we don't secure the border, it doesn't just affect the border states. It affects all of the country, all of America, and it has all of these direct harms, like the increase in crime, increase in, um, I think, election integrity issues. Um, there, there are a lot of other uh, side issues beyond just the the point of invasion at the border. And so um, so let's expand this a little bit. I mean, assuming that the articles of impeachment are passed against Secretary Mayorkas, uh, will that then trigger this um, this trial in the Senate before and I think it will before the election? And will that impact Or how will it impact the 2024 campaign for Joe Biden when I think a lot of the media is going to be rightly focused on that? We'll see if some of the the leftist media just wants to pretend that that's not going on in the Senate. Yeah, I mean, the Senate's going to have no choice. They're going to have to deal with this. Uh, You know, that's obviously in the Constitution. When they deal with it is a completely other story. And, and no, I do not think that the Senate will have any kind of stomach, uh, especially, you know, with Democrats in control, to removing Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, but it will keep the pressure on. 
And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm quite shocked that uh, Joe Biden hasn't gotten rid of him already, if for no other reason that he could say he's taken action. And then literally for about the next four or five, six months, he can say, well, my new person just got there. Let's give them some time to figure out what's going on and what needs to change. And he kind of gets to punt on the issue. Again, it's just kind of one of those examples where, I mean, these guys are really bad at their jobs. I mean, they don't understand how the government, how politics, all of this plays, because they could have given themselves basically a free pass, uh, but they don't do it. They continue to double down on failed policies, and now they're paying for it, uh, you know, with the American people. Yeah, and and this just also proves, I think, Mark Lauder, that that the Biden administration as a whole, I mean, not just Joe Biden, who clearly more than half the time doesn't even know where he is, uh, but all of his handlers and all the people in the administration obviously don't know what they're doing, but they also just don't care. They don't care about approval ratings. They don't care what the American people think about them. They don't care about their job performance. Um, But that leads into another interesting political question, because the rumors have continued to accelerate that potentially Michelle Obama might enter the race and that someone now that we have almost as a as a guarantee or a certainty that Donald Trump will be the GOP nominee now the focus is turning to the Democrats and saying are they really going to want that repeat in 2024 are they going to for whatever reason Joe Biden says that he has to step down replace him with someone like a Michelle Obama Gavin Newsom Gretchen Whitmer I mean they unfortunately have kind of a wide bench of crazy Democrats yeah, well, I mean, a couple things. Number one, I mean, Joe Biden has wanted this office, you know, since the 80s. Uh, it's been his dream, so I don't see him giving it up easily. And he also has this belief in his brain that I beat Donald Trump once and I can do it again. Uh, but he forgets that he has a record now. He didn't have a record then, uh, as you well know. And so it's a much different race than it was last time around. I get the wishful thinking that they're going to get Michelle Obama or Oprah or somebody to come in and save them. Uh, but I do think it's wishful thinking. I don't think Michelle Obama, everything I've ever read, has suggested that she enjoyed her time in the White House, that she enjoyed her time in Washington, D.C. I don't know why she would want to give up her millions of dollars and her lavish lifestyle in Nantucket uh, or Martha's Vineyard to come back and do this. Uh, and so, you know, there's that aspect of it. When it comes to another candidate, they can't replace Joe Biden with Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer for one reason. They are struggling and beat and bleeding black Democrat voters. Uh, the polls show them anywhere from, you know, with Donald Trump getting 20, 25 percent, which is three times the amount that he got in 2018 or 20, uh, 2020. If they replace Joe Biden with anyone other than Kamala Harris, it would be an or Michelle Obama or somebody like that. It would be an insult to those voters and people who are already struggling, are, you know, to come out and vote are just going to stay home or vote the other direction. Well, and, and some of those polls, I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe that even with a replacement uh, that that some of those just Democrat voters that are going to vote Democrat no matter what, because they've been told their whole lives uh, wrongfully, of course, that the Democrat Party represents you, represents minorities and, you know, represents your interests. And so they just continued to vote Democrat um, that that would necessarily change for that high of an amount or, or you know, of about 25%, that would be a, a miracle. I mean, I don't know if, if the Democrats really want to risk that, as you're saying, but I don't know that necessarily they, that they would make that calculus that they would actually lose that much support um, other unless 
you have somebody like a Michelle Obama or a Kamala or somebody that would appeal specifically to that demographic, but they're in a really hard place. And so speaking of impeachment, uh, Mark Lauder, what's what happened to impeaching Joe Biden? I mean, it almost it seems like we we were headed into that. Uh, with Kevin McCarthy and then uh, Speaker Johnson you know, continued to say, I think the right constitutional position will go where the facts and the evidence lead. Um, I think just based on what I know, and I'm not even in Congress, I'm not even in some of those classified meetings, but just based on what I know that has been reported and not just reading the headlines, but actually looking at what is in the public domain, there is enough, including the border, to impeach Joe Biden because he has derelicted his duty. He has gone against his oath uh, of the Constitution. And so even just on the very same issues that they're impeaching Secretary Mayorkas, that could have been a dual impeachment and they could have included Joe Biden in that. So why aren't Republicans taking that more seriously? Well, I don't think it's a question of more seriously. I think the question is they still have to have that final that final step. They've got very good, what I would say, and I'm not going to debate law with you, Jenna. I know better than that. They've got a lot of circumstantial evidence that suggests, obviously, that Joe Biden received money from uh, you know these foreign business transactions. But you, you need the direct piece of evidence, especially when it comes to impeachment of a president. Uh, and so I'm just not sure they think they have that final piece there yet. And, you know, there's a lot of folks that I think do take the Constitution seriously. And whether a policy difference or policy indifference in the case of Joe Biden raises to a a level of high crime and misdemeanor, that's up for debate. But, you know, we've seen this happen before, whether it was the impeachment of Donald Trump, whether it was the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Impeachment is not necessarily the political winning argument that you would think it would be because it's too easy to politicize. And so I think at this point, they may be just more resigned to the fact that we'll have this out at the ballot box uh, rather than taking the, the formal road of impeachment. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, um, impeachment has become so politicized and they may be thinking, well, then this will give uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats something to run on to say, you know, look, they're just weaponizing the system and, and basically doing everything that uh, that Republicans did or, or that Democrats did rather to Trump and that Republicans suggested uh, back during the, the two impeachments of Donald Trump. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't follow the facts and the evidence just because it will become politicized. Otherwise, they're caring more about optics than they are about genuine, not only policy, but following the law. So I'm hopeful that, you know, maybe they'll get there. And and, and again, it shouldn't be a, a totally political question. You're absolutely right. But just because it's political in nature and the optics doesn't mean that you should back off of it. But uh, Mark Lauder, always really appreciate your insights and look forward to having you on more as we get uh, closer to the 2024 election. And um, you can follow America First Policy Institute. They're a great organization at A1 Policy on X, formerly known as Twitter. And we'll be right back with more headlines here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. When Antoinette found out she was pregnant, she was in a very bad place. She didn't know how she could raise a child on her own. She searched for an abortion clinic, and God led her to a preborn clinic where she met her baby on ultrasound. When she saw her baby and heard the heartbeat, she broke down crying, and the nurse reminded her that babies are a blessing from God. 
She chose life. Her daughter's name is Treasure because she is a gift from God. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, the official Border Patrol Union has voiced its support for Texas as Governor Greg Abbott takes action against Joe Biden's quote unquote catastrophic border policies. This week, the National Border Patrol Council released a statement saying that the rank and file Border Patrol agents, quote, appreciate and respect the measures Abbott is taking to stem the historic amount of illegal migrants pouring into the U.S. under the Biden administration. The 18,000 member union dismissed headlines that they that claimed they would arrest Texas National Guardsmen for following their lawful orders. Instead, they vowed to work together and respect each other's jobs, adding that unlawful orders would not be tolerated. That headline coming from Town Hall. And uh, another headline this morning um, is that three U.S. soldiers killed in a drone attack uh, by the Iran proxy terror group uh, was uh, what Katie Pavlich said also in town hall, uh, this is what appeasement gets you. So three United States service members were killed Saturday in, in an Iranian drone attack in Jordan near the border with Syria. Two dozen others were seriously injured. What exactly seriously injured means? Uh, we're not exactly sure, but for months, Iran has launched attacks against U.S. troops in the region through its proxy forces, and the Biden administration has issued limited strikes on um, Iranian-backed terrorist groups in Yemen, insisting their strategy would work to de-escalate the situation. So it seems like on several borders, um, obviously the United States border, um, more importantly, uh, in terms of America first, the Biden administration is really not caring about U.S. soldiers uh, or Americans or uh, really doing his job at all. So our good friend Pedro Gonzalez uh, joins me now. He uh, runs the Contra Substack. You can find that at readcontra.com. And his uh, latest uh, newsletter publication is titled Prairie Fires in the Empire, the Immigration Crisis, Biden's Border Deal Bid, Diversity Airlines, Conform or Die, Little Victories, so much more. So, Pedro, where do you want to start? And good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot to, uh, to pick from. Well, I think the the key thing is is that, and honestly, I think Governor DeSantis actually put this the the best. Uh, Florida Governor DeSantis posted this video to to Twitter recently where he explained that there is actually no need for a border deal. Uh, I think that's that's the most important thing that's key right now, and I'll, I'll explain why that's key. But the the first thing is that Biden does not need a border deal to fix the situation at the border. As as president of the United States, he has all the tools he needs right now to declare a state of emergency and close the border. He doesn't need anything else. And that's important because Biden is trying to basically shift blame on the immigration issue onto the GOP by by basically presenting this, this ridiculous this ridiculous image of him as being bipartisan now, you know, I, I basically I will close the border 
if only the GOP is willing to work with us, the Democratic Party, and, and send something for me to sign, right? And what's under consideration right now, uh, according to reports and, and different outlets, is this border deal that, that would essentially codify a certain amount of legal immigration every day before anything before there would be basically a, a mandatory uh, shutdown of the border. And, and the number that has been consistently reported uh, and, and about the about how this would work is that it, the border would not be closed until an average encounter rate would reach 5,000 per day. In other words, until 5,000 people per day would illegally enter the country, the border would not go into this, this shutdown mode. And it would remain shut down until illegal crossings would reach a certain threshold, and then it would reopen. But all of this is just to say that it would codify an acceptable amount of legal immigration before you would get this shutdown authority. And I think, like I said in this video, which you can find it on his on his uh, on his Twitter. Uh, yeah, at Ron DeSantis. Yeah, he he did that yeah. video was excellent actually, and it and it was just it like was. about a three minute video where he's sitting in a car just explaining, you know, kind of what the state of uh, of the border crisis is, the law and the constitution about it, and th- this is the type of clear, precise articulation that that we need at the border. And I think that Governor Abbott reflected that as well uh, in his uh, in his letter. And what he said in terms of uh, protecting the border. And and I think that for Speaker Mike Johnson, any sort of border deal that would essentially codify some illegal immigration, so basically making it now legal, um, I think would really upset Republicans heading into an election year. So I don't see that that would be particularly viable, especially because the border states and now this coalition of of 20 Republican states probably won't go along with this anyway. And they're going to say, well, no, we're still going to protect our border anyway. So that doesn't seem like a very good plan. Yeah. And and you can read the details of it at readcontra.com because there there are more aspects to this deal that will make it very clear why it's it's a poison pill. But that's exactly right. It's, It's nonsense to frame it this way, but this is the problem, is that Biden is trying to, again, set up this this sort of trap where if, if Republicans don't go along with this, uh, if, if they don't basically concede to making some kind of terrible deal, then he gets to say, you know, and who knows how effective this is? You know, who knows how many people would actually be convinced this is true? But the, the narrative will then shift where it's Republicans are deliberately keeping the border open in order to increase the likelihood of the Republican nominee, presumably Trump, winning in, in 2020 this year, winning basically winning back the White House on anger and, and outrage towards the immigration crisis. Biden can then say Republicans are obstructing fixing this problem because you know they're cynical and they they, they just want to win back the White House. And you're already kind of seeing that narrative being drummed out by the media. Again, who knows how effective that is? You know, who knows? You know how many independents there are out there, or whatever that can actually be swayed by that message. Maybe that's not the point. The point is, is that 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 it seems to be the play here. If if Republicans send this deal, uh, you know, and it, and it ends up on Biden's desk, he wins because again, it's codifying law breaking. If they don't, 
and you know they they decide no they decide no deal and they basically say you know Biden doesn't need a deal to do this which is totally true then Biden again in a way he kind of wins again because he can say Republicans are obstructing me you know I'm willing to close the border and and in some of the people who commented on my article actually said you know compared to the status quo like what's happening right now we're reducing the number of acceptable illegal entries to 5,000 actually does look like a dramatic shift to to someone who might not know better. But it, but it's obviously, it, it's not acceptable to codify any level of legal immigration, but that's the kind of framing that they're setting up. Like this crisis is so dramatic that any deal should be acceptable if we're serious about fixing the pro- this problem, which again is not true. I mean, uh, there, there's a story in... Uh, Breitbart, I think, by Neil Monroe, and it, it, the, the the headline is that Biden's deputies have allowed 6.2 illegal immigrants into into the United States, uh, often using this parole loophole. Uh, so they get in, they're they're apprehended, and they're told, you know, come back to court uh, on on this appointed date. Of course, they often don't, right? There's Right. And and this is where this is where uh, Pedro Gonzalez, the the, people who are suggesting, you know, that the wall is going to be super effective. Um, I had Don Huffines on last week, who, of course, ran for governor in the state of Texas against Greg Abbott in the primary and unfortunately lost. I mean, I I think he would have been even stronger than Abbott is on this issue. But he made the point um, and I and I'm all for the wall. I I was for President Trump's promise in 2016, you know, build the wall, all of that. But he made a great point that if you are that basically all that does is fund illegal migrants to the checkpoints and if border patrol isn't doing anything about it and they're just letting everybody come in under this false sort of amnesty declaration they come into the united states and then they don't come back for their appointed court dates what's the point i mean then the wall isn't actually doing what it's supposed to but um this headline just dropped moments before we started the show from the daily caller and i want to get your reaction uh pedro gonzalez from this it's um exclusive federal authorities caught an al shabaab terrorist at the u.s southern border and released him into the country where he roamed freely for nearly a year before being arrested in Minnesota just days ago. I mean, so so this is basically an example of exactly what we're talking about. And this is in the Daily Caller for uh, listeners who want to follow up with reading that full article. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. And I think there's like there's been more instances like this where you have people that are apprehended who are wanted for terrorism in other countries. Um, there's there's been several incidents like this in in just the last year through 2023 and i I reported on a few of them at my substack um i can't recall any off the top of my head right now but no it's that's not my my reaction to that is i'm not surprised at all uh this this has become normal and i i guess i guess that shows you how how we've all kind of been to some degree desensitized about how bad this is. You know, on the one hand, there is an immigration crisis, and it's one of the top issues going into the presidential election. It's, it's all, immigration is a perennial issue. It's always at the top of the American mind because it's ultimately a question about sovereignty, you know, whether or not we have a country. Borders literally define the boundaries uh, of a nation, and the message that the Biden administration is sending is that we actually don't have, we don't recognize any boundaries, which is another way of saying that we don't really have a proper nation. 
And well, if they're not recognizing those boundaries, I mean, they're not recognizing state sovereignty either in the ba- and then like and and right. not only the boundaries of um, of the border, but also the law and the constitution and the entire point of sovereign nation, sovereign states. And um, and before we want, run out of time, um, Pedro, I do want to change the topic um, to the three U.S. soldiers that were killed in the drone attack um, because I think that this actually goes into what we've been talking about this whole segment that Biden just doesn't have respect for. Americans for American lives and that his actions or inactions have serious consequences, not only on the border, but also in terms of our military. Yeah, right. And again, with with the airstrike in Jordan, the reaction of a lot of people was, why are we there? Why do we have U.S. troops in Jordan? And apparently this this particular base where where these troops are at, there's a small contingent of Air Force personnel who are there um, in support of a coalition that's basically monitoring ISIS, which I thought we had defeated. So th- th- again, it raises this question of why are why are there troops in harm's way deployed on missions that no one really understands uh, for objectives that don't actually seem to be defined in. in that, that's an important question, because when you don't ask that kind of question, this is exactly what happens. You, you, you actually had no idea that there are Americans in Jordan until you wake up and find out that they have been killed in a drone strike by, by militants that you know, have yet to be identified. And again, I think it, it kind of just is characteristic of the Biden administration. And it seems like they're losing control of every conceivable front, whether it's foreign policy or immigration. And it, it seems like they're asleep at the wheel. Um, and, and like you said, they don't really care about either American sovereignty or the actual American uh, national interest abroad. Yeah. And, and, and it's not just that they're asleep at the wheel. I mean, some of them are actually hospitalized without informing uh, the White House or Americans like yeah. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. I mean, this was kind of mind blowing. And I know that that was, yeah. you know, a, a couple of weeks ago. But this just shows that, um, that that the American people really can't rely on or have confidence in. Um, not only the integrity of the Biden administration, but also the forthrightness of of being there, doing their job. And so I asked um, my my guest in the previous segment, um, Mark Lauder, the same question that I'll ask you is, where are Republicans now on impeachment of Joe Biden? Because we heard a lot of that rhetoric, um, you know, coming from Kevin McCarthy's speakership and then heading into uh, this year and when... Um, Speaker Mike Johnson took over a couple of months ago. He said, "We'll follow where the facts and the evidence show." I mean, I think there's enough there to uh, to at least file um, impeachment articles, and maybe he's yeah. waiting on actually having a majority. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. We, we live in very strange times, and I'll go back to the immigration issue to, to highlight to make this point. We have this scenario where you know people see the specter of civil war. I, I don't think we're actually going to. The Civil War, so I think it's kind of ridiculous. We're not, we're not going to have a civil war. The, the South is not rising again. Um, but it's just kind of mind-blowing that at the same time that, you know, Abbott is leading this coalition of, of governors who are standing up uh, for border security, he's in India on a business trip that's being paid for by the Texas Economic uh, Development Corporation, which is a pro-immigration group. Um the vice chair wrote an op-ed, and I think it was the Dallas Morning News, saying that the solution for illegal immigration is basically amnesty 
for for giving a pathway to citizenship to people that are le- illegally entered uh, have illegally entered the country because of the economic benefits of that. So at the same time that, that I know at the same time that Abbott is you know leading this coalition of governors and you know good, really good for them to to do this stuff obviously because I mean I think that they they it shows they take the issue seriously. It's still hard to wrap your head around that. Like you know he the, the governor of Texas is in India basically on a trip to promote more immigration. Uh, right. The, this is this would be like India saying that the solution for uh, for for combating DUIs is to just raise the limit of of blood alcohol content that you can have while you're driving. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean that that's yeah. that's literally so, what they're saying, and is totally ridiculous. Yeah, it is. But, but so going back to the impeachment thing, what I guess what I'm saying is, is I have no idea, you know, what the holdup is, how serious Republicans are, whether they want to do it or if it's just something that they're saying. Uh, to, to, you know, to generate outrage from Republicans, basically to, to get Republican voters worked up enough that they're paying attention. And but I think it's generating more, more frustration. Money. You know, it's either you're going to do yeah. it or you're not. And don't just say that you're going to move forward with impeachment. And then, yeah, you know, they filed now articles against Secretary Mayorkas. But, you know, it seems like the Republicans are not as strong in a coalition. We know that. But um, I would love to see Speaker Johnson uh, come forward and actually give us more of an update and a little bit clearer picture on where they're at. But uh, Pedro Gonzalez, really appreciate your time. As always, you can find him at Contra, um, readcontra.com and at Americatus on X, formerly known as Twitter. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost-sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org AFR. That's chministries.org AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, the year is 2024, and Texas leads a coalition of over 20 states who oppose the federal government. Taylor Swift is the biggest name in professional football. Ben Shapiro is the number one rapper in the country, and it's only January. So that was a now viral tweet by our good friend Oren McIntyre at The Blaze. And in case you missed this, uh, turning now to a little bit of uh, pop culture uh, can, can we call rap pop culture? I don't even know what category it fits into. But um, Ben Shapiro actually <laughs> released 
a uh, and this was along with uh, with another I guess recording artist. I mean, I don't really follow rap, but the song is called Facts, and it's with this guy Tom McDonald. Those of you who may follow rap are are probably laughing, going, "You don't know who Tom McDonald is?" No, I really don't. But the song is called Facts, and if you haven't heard it, I'm only going to play a short segment of this, but you really just for your pop culture knowledge, you just need to know it's out there. So this is the song called Facts. I don't care if I fail you. I was playing to a sad You can cry and you can scream. You can ride in the streets. You defunded the police. Now there's no one to protect you. All right. So that was as much as, as as we could do. And I and I just have to say I put that, you know, kinda one rung higher than uh than the Lara Trump cover um that was so auto tuned. I mean, I'm just so proud of all conservatives right now going I mean, I know that entertainment is is important to have conservative and especially Christian alternatives, but is this really where we're going? Um, 2024, I mean, it is already January, but uh, let's welcome in Oren McIntyre, who wrote that viral tweet. And Oren, um, I I got a text from a good friend of mine as we were in that last break that uh, she actually said, so what if Taylor Swift runs? And I'm just thinking that would would be 2024. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it's especially now that the Chiefs are moving on, we're going to have to endure uh, this, this quite quite a bit longer. There is a conspiracy going a theory going around that uh, that Taylor is some kind of plant to manipulate the uh, the presidential election. I think we've already seen that uh, the deep state is more than willing to do that. And in other areas, I don't know if that has to mean that that romance is their main vehicle, but uh, it, it is pretty funny. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, she turns 35 in December, so she would be of age uh, when she took office. And and I, I would not put it past the Democrats who are using all of these social media influencers, these TikTokers, you know, to come into the White House. They're so completely just enamored with celebrity. And if and I'm not suggesting that this has even been like, you know, a rumor or anything like that, but I think that the whole. Um, Taylor Swift phenomenon and this sort of crossover into the NFL. It could be real, but it looks more like a PR stunt for the NFL, for people who have uh, kind of have, have done the boycott thing and haven't really paid attention to the NFL. I mean, it's it's not as popular as it used to be. And now with this whole rise of Taylor Swift attending every game and now she's going to be at the Super Bowl. I mean, she made the Super Bowl in her rookie year. That's what I tweeted last night. Um, <laughs> this is drawing a lot more attention from all of these Swifties because she's so popular. So I could see this not just being sort of a PR stunt for the NFL, but um, to drive a lot of the young voters out because um, because I mean, she she made an endorsement in 2020 for Joe Biden. And a lot of young people are very swayed by celebrity endorsements. Yeah, and of course, that's that's true. I think of every demographic. I mean, the good news, I guess, is if we're worried about that, people have been trying to drive out the youth vote for a very long time. And it almost never happens, though I will say it would be refreshing to have anyone who's not going to turn 80 in the White House be involved <laughs> in the presidential race. It seems for some reason we're only allowed to be ruled by people who qualify 
you know, to uh, for nursing homes at this point. Uh, you know, not, I don't think uh, Taylor would be my first choice, but it would be a nice change of pace to have somebody who, you know, might, uh, I don't know, like actively be uh, involved in the housing market or having a family or those kind of things while they're in the White House and not just people who are, you know, approaching 75, 80 years old. Well- at least she does know where she is compared to Joe Biden. So, I mean, right. that, uh, you know, so I, I would say she's more qualified at this point, unfortunately. Right. I don't know who she would hire, how her policy uh, would be, but at least just on on that basis, which is very, it's a very, very low bar. I mean, this is really sad that we've come to this point in this country. And, and what I texted back, and of course, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but what I texted back to my friend, I said, you know, if that actually happens and we have somebody like Taylor Swift, who by zero metric otherwise, other than age and basic competency, in my opinion, would be qualified to be in the seat of government in one of the world's superpowers, then why not just go back to a monarchy, right? I mean, like at this point, I'd rather you know have like the, the inheritance of somebody who has like been brought up at least knowing that they're going to become king than something so ridiculous if you have the electorate and voters who are that far gone that they would think that somebody um, like Joe Biden or Taylor Swift, for all of those reasons, are possibly the best choice for public office. I mean, Jenna, I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you're finally crossing over. You're <laughs> understanding the value of, of the hereditary monarchy. We don't have to deal with, you know, the kind of the, the degenerating, uh, you know, uh, Democratic vote at this point. I mean, but yeah, it is it is absolutely ridiculous that it's come to this point. I mean, we've already elected a uh, a a reality tv host and you know why not a a pop star we need to move into the idiocracy phase where we get a a professional wrestler we can just collect different pop culture figures and elevate them it'll be a good time you know if if the republic's gonna gonna burn at least you know a, a comedy of it i suppose (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, at least it'll be entertaining. You know, it'll be like right. the like Veep. I mean, literally, that's kind of where we're heading. And, you know, for all of the things that the Trump administration did well, and there there were a lot, um, I do think that this this opened the door, as, as you referenced, to this kind of, well, if you are a celebrity in a separate fashion than like like Oprah, like suggesting, you know, that Oprah should run. And yes, we do live in a country that as long as you meet the, the minimum qualifications in the Constitution, which is basically just age and citizenship, then you can run. But that doesn't necessarily mean you are the best choice. And for Democrats, they're suggesting, you know, that somebody like Oprah would be such a wonderful, I'm thinking, uh, President, I'm thinking, you know, Oprah at, at best is an entertainer and maybe a philanthropist for progressive leftist uh, types of, of, of philanthropy. You know, so not anything that I would I would support, but that doesn't make a good policymaker. It doesn't make a good governor. And and this is where I think the right has also kind of gone a little too far down this track in terms of valuing people that are good in front of the camera. Like I, I would just say like Carrie Lake, for example, um, you know, she's running for, for us Senate now from Arizona and she ran for governor. A lot of people are excited about her, but the more that you hear her speak, yes, she's great on the camera, but can she govern? I mean, it seems like nobody is worried about the fact that, you know, she's openly pro LGBTQ. She doesn't really know what she's doing in a lot of other policy issues, uh, but nobody is really paying attention to the substance. They're only paying attention to how good they are at smacking down the fake news media. I mean, that, that shouldn't be our metric here. 
Yeah, but I think it's just an inevitable consequence of mass communication and democracy. There's a reason that pretty much every founding father warned us about mass franchise democracy. There's a reason that in the Constitution originally we didn't elect senators directly. We had a lot more barriers between the presidential election and the popular opinion. That's because the founding fathers were perfectly aware that a voting base can be easily manipulated, especially now with the kind of the, the widespread that the mainstream media has the level of control and the ability to have to pump those opinions and information into people's minds constantly. I think we're just seeing a natural outcome. I don't think it's because the Republicans are doing or the Democrats are doing it. I just think that's how incentives line up. Yeah, and I would agree with you on that. It's not just um, this. This is a commentary on culture and politics Mm -hmm. is downstream from culture, as Andrew Breitbart famously said. And when you have this um, kind of de-education, if that's a word, um, see, I'm getting an idiocracy now because I'm not even coining the right term. But um, but, you know, when you get to a culture and a populace that doesn't have the the civics education is not. Um, scripturally sound and 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 has substantive theology that moves and shapes culture. And when you have the television instead of the pulpit, that is the main um, source of learning. Then you have this entertainment hierarchy. And um, and I've I've mentioned this book before on air, but one of one of my favorites that I read last year was "Amusing Ourselves to Death" by Neil Postman. Um, called Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business. And this was written you know, back in the 80s. But the, the point of it was to say that when we are consuming news and uh, commentary and, and, and getting education from a medium that is necessarily primarily <laughs> entertainment-based, then we aren't truly getting the substance. I mean, and this is why I've said for a long time that I like radio much better than television because you have to have something to say and the audience is not distracted by all of the glitz and glamour and production and does the set look good? Does the hair and makeup look good? I mean, when I'm on television, then most of the comments that I get are, you know, does the color that I was wearing look good, right? Where in radio, nobody cares about any of that. They're actually here to listen to what we have to say and it's longer than maybe a a three-minute segment and so but that's for the vast majority of people television is how they consume their news so are we necessarily making ourselves dumber by using the entertainment medium as our primary method of learning what's happening in the world today Oh, undoubtedly. The medium is the message. When we transfer from one mode of cultural uh, transmission to the other, we end up changing necessarily the culture that we're transmitting. And I think it's just obviously true that while a larger number of people might be impacted by, quote unquote, the news today than maybe could read it previously due to modes of education and that kind of thing, the kind of news that they're getting is much poorer for this particular reason. And again, I unfortunately, I don't see any big shift in that happening. So while that is lamentable, I think it'd be wise for the right for Republicans to understand that that's the reality about how information is going to be obtained instead of saying, well, because this is beneath us, we're not going to engage with this or we're not going to understand it. Because I think that is a mistake, even though it's an understandable reaction. 
Yeah, and I'm speaking with Oren McIntyre, who is a host at uh, The Blaze and uh, has his own uh, show and is a columnist there. And and Oren, um, you know, again, this is th- this book. Um, interesting that you say the medium is the message because the first chapter of Amusing Ourselves to Death is um, is expanding on that and saying the medium is the metaphor. And I would really mm-hmm. encourage all listeners um, to go and read this book. I mean, and also just read books, period. Because if all we're doing is is wanting to be entertained, and there's nothing wrong with with good forms of entertainment, but that shouldn't be the the soul or the primary even uh, basis of how we learn um, not only our news of the day and participate in civil government, but I think this translates as well to how a lot of uh, big churches and especially big, you know, big Eva, you know, kind of the, the mega churches now try to teach theology, Oren, is, is that they have to use all of these clips from different movies or they have to use, you know, the, they'll probably use Ben Shapiro's rap song now, <laughs> you know, for something. And it's like they have to use all of this entertainment in order to have their audience's attention. And that necessarily waters down the message. Instead of just preaching, you know, opening the Bible, saying, you know, take out your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 5, here's what we're doing verse by verse. I mean, that that is so rare, unfortunately, in churches these days, and it's watering down theology as well. Yeah, I think there's a reason, and I'm myself an evangelical, but I think there's a reason that the Orthodox Church is growing in the United States right now, and that's because the evangelical church and large part has forgotten that, you know, that the sacred, the tradition that binds these things is really important. It sets you apart from the culture. Rather than trying to conform to the culture, it puts people in a different mode of reverence when they're worshiping, when they're learning God's Word. And so people are looking for a more orthodox tradition that aligns them with that understanding. I think uh, rather than trying to, you know, build the world's largest sub and run all of the, you know, snazziest videos and, you know, incorporate whatever new rap song is involved, evangelical churches might want to think a little more about returning to something that reminds people that they're involved in a sacred space that's separate from what the world's doing. Yeah, really well said. And and I know um, just people in my age group and younger, you know, kind of the, the 30 to 40 uh, generation uh, right now, at least, are turning to orthodoxy for exactly that reason, where they're saying, you know, I don't want kind of this fluff. I want to feel, have this feeling of reverence and, and, and feel like I'm actually engaging in a, in a church of substance. And, and it's sad that, that the medium sometimes becomes more important than the message because it's not so much that they're looking for, in some instances, not everyone, of course, but in some instances are looking for, for that feeling of reverence instead of, um, is this church actually teaching correct theology? I mean, that should be the number one most important thing that you look at uh, at a church. And of course, we could expand on this a lot more. Um, we're already out of time, uh, Oren McIntyre, but, um, and I really appreciate your time, but this is where we need to make sure as Christians that we are always engaging in the substance, that we are not just going to a church that either makes us feel more reverent or um, that is entertaining us, but also when we're reading the news and the daily headlines. Um, we don't just want to passively digest some of this uh, fluff that is that is easy to consume on television. We always want to make sure that we are critically thinking and analyzing, does this conform to conservatism, which is predicated on a biblical worldview for civil society? That should be our engagement. We should know civics, know our rule book of the Constitution, so that we can always engage as better citizens. So you can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net, and I'll see you tomorrow morning.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.